There are hundreds of stories of people being abducted by aliens and taken to far-off places. But what happens if you get abducted and you're taken straight to hell? And then we take a look at the possibility that the Easter Bunny may not be a warm, cuddly dude who drops eggs off in your backyard. He may actually be an interdimensional invader. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun. Hope you guys had an awesome weekend, too. We have a lot of cool stuff to cover today, so first off, let's go ahead and give a shout-out to one of our newest Patreon supporters. Walking into Dead Rabbit Command, it's everyone's favorite dude. I don't know, you might hate this guy. Give it up for F. Sindo. woo Come on in, buddy. Come on in. F. Sindo, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. You have no idea how much it helps just promoting the show. F. Sindo, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the Jason Jalopy. We are headed out all the way to a young man's house. This is a really interesting story, but like so many stories we cover, we don't have an exact time, we don't have an exact location or date. And this story, I understand why this person wouldn't want to reveal all that information, because this is a pretty intense one. We're sitting outside this house, and inside this house there is a person who goes by the internet handle Homogenic Harpist. Homogenic Harpist. We're going to go ahead and call you Pete, if that's your real name, it's just a guess. And Pete... And Pete tells us this this terrifying story, and like all like all terrifying stories, it starts off with a quite depressing beginning. Pete said, "Listen, when this happened to this happened a couple of years ago, so he he puts a bit of a time zone in. It's around the time of the COVID lockdowns. So he goes, listen, you know, COVID came, everything started getting shut down, lost my job, had to move back to my old hometown. I'm an adult. I'm sleeping in the bed that I had as a kid." And I'm just kind of thinking, what happened? Like, how did I end up here? <laughs> okay, COVID, right? That's how I ended up locked down. But a lot of people face that. A lot of people had financial difficulties. They were forced back to living with their parents or their relatives of some sort. And he says, my parents uh, are not good people. As a kid, I didn't get along with my parents. It was not a healthy home environment. So that, oh, I, <laughs> I knew when I was moving back to this house, it was not a house full of love. He goes, the house is hard to grow up in. The house always had such a dark energy as a kid. And it seems even, even now it's hard. And I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with all the psychic residue. I'm dealing with all of the emotional trauma of growing up with my parents. And now I'm an adult and I'm living with my parents. And I don't know if it, things are ever going to get better. I'm in... The, the world seemed to be falling apart, right? Remember when that whole COVID lockdown stuff was going on back in 2020. So He's laying in bed one night, and one of the things he did to help fall asleep was he left his blinds open on his window, and there was like this big tree outside of his house, and he would just kind of watch the branches sway and give him some sense of peace, right? That was the way he fell asleep a lot as a kid, and now he's an adult doing this as well. And he's starting to zone out. This is this he's done this ritual all his life when he was living there. He's starting to zone out watching these branches sway and then bam. He is no longer in his bedroom. 
he finds himself, and he I'll, I'll say this too, he is very adamant this was not a dream. He's like, I've had dreams. I've had, like most humans, I've had dreams all my life. This was not a dream. This actually happened to me. And he also says he's an experienced lucid dreamer. So he has the ability to control his dreams. And he goes, this 100% was not a dream. He says, what happened was he's laying in bed. He starts to zone out. And then he's on his knees in a coliseum. He's kneeling in the dirt. He's in the center of this Colosseum-like structure. His hands are handcuffed behind his back. They're restrained in some way. And it appears that the Colosseum, for the most part, is empty. He's looking at this massive structure. He's in the center of it, but he doesn't see a bunch of... He doesn't see a bunch of people going, Pete, 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 and get ready for the big game. He's in this Colosseum-like structure, but... It's empty save for three people. And probably the more apt term would be three demons. Because he instinctively knows he's in hell. He's not like, Shea Stadium, whoa! Maybe I'll hit a homer. (laughs) He doesn't go on and say, like, the sky's blood red and there's, like, dinosaur-type creatures flying around, volcanoes going on. The volcanoes show up later. But he instinctively knows where he's at. He's in hell, and he's bound on his knees. And in this Colosseum, he sees three humanoids. He describes them like this. One of them is a goat in a humanoid form. Not just like has a, a human body and a goat head, which would be terrifying enough. He's like, oh, that's lame. It was actually a goat, but it was bipedal. And it was sitting there. And then also sitting there was a black... He described it as tall, slim, humanoid shape, but it was made up of black energy. Sitting next to the goat man. And this this entity had glowing red eyes. And then sitting next to that figure is a man with the upper body of an eagle. He just had regular old surfer legs, all muscular and tan, and then the upper body of an eagle. I don't know if he had feather arms, but he's sitting there. And he said, I love this story because there's so many interesting little tidbits to it, really interesting details. He's sitting there and he goes, they're having a conversation I can't understand what they're saying. They're speaking some sort of language that makes absolutely no sense to me, but I've heard it before. Doesn't know when, doesn't know where, but he's heard this language before. So they were speaking Polish or something like that. It was an infernal type language. And while he's kneeling there and they're speaking, he, he picks up on another just really interesting detail. He says, I feel like this conversation had been going on for a long time and my body had been there for a long time. What I experienced when I left the bedroom and came here was my subconscious being dropped into this reality. Whatever had been going on had been going on for a while. He was just now, for the first time, being made aware of it. While this is all going on, while this conversation is going on, while he's realizing the predicament he's in, he starts to sense there's somebody behind him. He can't see who it is. At a certain point, I don't even want to, right? 
But this conversation's going on, and he said at a certain point, the Birdman seemed to signal to Pete that a decision had been made. It was almost like subconscious that he was picking up on these details. The Birdman basically seemed resigned to go along with the decision that was made. And the Birdman felt bad for Pete. And at this point, Pete becomes aware of who is standing behind him. It is what he describes as another humanoid. It's a woman. It's a tall woman standing there. And she's wearing a Japanese-style kimono with a pale face. She has very, very pale skin. Her eyes have been removed, or maybe they were were never there to begin with, right? Some sort of demonic creature. Where her eyes should be were just these pitch black holes in her head. And she's wearing a gold crown on her head. He gets the sense that the eagle man felt bad for what was going to happen to Pete, but the woman seemed to derive some sort of weird pleasure about the decision that had been made and about what was going to happen to Pete. And she grabs Pete and begins to drag him through the Colosseum towards a white door. A door of the brightest white light emanating out of it. This woman is just dragging Pete over to it. Really, really interesting motifs, right? We have this hellish world with these creatures in it. But generally, when you think of things like a golden crown and a tunnel of light, a white door, you think of good stuff, right? You think of heaven. You think passing on to the next better world. Pete makes the assumption that what's on the other side of this door is actually the end of everything. He cannot go through this door. But he's handcuffed. He's being dragged by this supernaturally strong woman. And he's getting closer and closer to the door, and he's fighting so hard. He's fighting so hard to get out of her grasp, and he can't. He says, I'm so close to that door. I'm so close to that door now that my legs are inside of it. My legs are inside of this door, and I'm in, I don't know what to do. My arms are restrained. This woman is forcing me to go, but, but at the very last moment before he is fully thrown through this opening, he grabs the golden crown and removes it from her head. He says instantly he hears her begin to shriek, this this inhuman scream echoes through this reality and his nose starts bleeding and his ears start bleeding and his vision gets distorted and he's having a hard time processing any information and then the screaming stops. He turns around and he sees that the woman has now been reduced to a pile of ash and on top of that is the golden crown. He instinctively, something's telling him to put the crown on. And he puts it on, and he realizes, I gotta get out of here somehow, right? 
There's two ways that he can tell are out of this area. One is the white door. <laughs> it's the white door, right, that he killed this woman to not go through. And then he sees a tunnel headed off in the other direction. He goes, well, that's if that's the only other way, I'd much rather take this tunnel. He goes running down the tunnel. What's interesting about the story, I want to take another break because I'm sure some of you guys are scratching your heads. There's obviously parts of the story that physically don't make sense. Like she's dragging him towards the door, but then his feet are in front. So she would have had to start pushing at some point. When she when he removed the crown from the head, did he then drop it? And it, did it drop on the, the pile of ash? It, it's really interesting because on the one hand, you could go, that's dream logic, right? You're being dragged, and the next thing you know, everything's kind of rearranged because dreams are illogical, or you're holding something important, and then you turn around and you're not holding it. On the one hand, there there are things like that, where his hands are restrained behind his back, but somehow he's able to get the crown. Fair. That's totally fair. I just wanted to address that, because that is that was when I was reading this, I was like, hmm? I was trying to figure out the chain of events as well. But again, he's adamant this isn't a dream and the way that this story plays out. So he's sitting, he doesn't wake up with the crown in bed. He doesn't wake up and he has the crown and he looks at the camera. He goes, it wasn't a dream. It's just kind of an interesting ending to this whole thing in two ways. He takes the crown and he puts it on and he begins to make his way through this tunnel. And if there was any doubt in his mind that he was in hell before, which there wasn't, he knows he's in hell now. I mean, you couldn't make the argument that the eagle and the goat and the black void energy, maybe those were angels and he was in maybe maybe a rundown part of heaven. They needed to do some renovation. It just looked like hell. But as he's moving through this tunnel, he's now in basically a Looney Tunes version of hell. There's lava, there's seas of lava, there's volcanoes, there's fire everywhere. There are these little imps running around with mining tools. You're like, Jason, this is clearly a dream now. This is clearly a dream. Hold on. There are these little imps with mining tools, and they're just, like, mining rocks. And they're singing songs, and Snow White's burning in a lake of lava. Quit singing and help me, you buffoons. And he's making his way through the tunnel, and he's watching these little people mine these rocks, and he realizes something. He's invisible. Like, once he put the crown on, he realizes nobody can see him. And he's making his way through these tunnels and these little guys <laughs> talking around him. He's making his way through this tunnel and he sees these little miners running all around mining these rocks. And every so often when he's walking down this tunnel, he sees these giant eyeballs protruding from the walls. And they're just staring at the proceedings. And what he gets from them is that these are some sort of Security system. Eyes felt like they were watching for something, whether it was to make sure the, <laughs> make sure the imps weren't taking too many coffee breaks or making sure no one escaped. But he felt the oppression of these eyeballs, these giant eyeballs staring out of the rocks as he's making his way through the tunnel. He's invisible, though. That's the one thing. <laughs> if you're trying to sneak by a security system, be invisible. And everything's going great until, in typical <laughs> Looney Tunes fashion... This invisible man who's trying to escape from hell bumps into one of these little creatures. And the creature kind of falls to the ground and looks up and sees nothing. But, I mean, obviously, it's hell, right? There's weird stuff in hell all the time. 
somehow, whether it was a little imp or one of these watching eyes noticed something was off, a alarm starts to go off. This ear-splitting, screeching alarm begins to go off, and the room just seems to be flashing these lights. He has been detected. And then he hears a rooster crow. Next thing he knows, he's laying on the floor in his bedroom. He says, I, it wasn't a dream. It, wasn't, it was not a dream at all. I went somewhere that night. And, he, and, and this is what's interesting about this. He goes, I, I know so clearly that that was not a dream that I went there that night because I went crazy basically after this. He, he did not use the word crazy, but he became pretty much catatonic after this experience. He said, I didn't speak to anyone. I, not just about this. I didn't speak to anyone at all for weeks after this happened. Truly traumatized by this experience. And he says, even now, I, I just I have such a hard time even thinking about it. And he's posting this and he's asked, he ends it like this. He basically two questions to try to sum up the whole thing. And while he's asking for advice anonymously on the internet, first question was, was this hell? And the second question is, am I still there? Really interesting if you think about it, because he didn't escape. He got caught. Right? They found him. And then when you hear that rooster crow and you're back in your house, you have to ask yourself, is he still in hell? And I do think it's interesting to point out that he talks about how he didn't have a great relationship with his family, that they, they seemed quite awful. He didn't speak to anyone for weeks and nobody thought that was weird. Like if I, if I stopped talking for weeks, th there would be quite a few people who would call 911 and would have me admitted. Right? Actually, probably the first two weeks, he'd be like, oh, finally, he shut up. <laughs> finally. But that that's troubling as well. Like he was basically mute and no one did anything. No one sought out any mental health services for him. But he, he doesn't know. Was that hell for sure? And am I still there? Is my experience that I'm living on Earth just punishment? Did I actually escape from that? Super interesting story. And it's funny because I went back and forth on it. And I go, it's so close to a dream. And longtime listeners on the show know I really don't like to talk about people's dreams. But this one, I mean, oh, and we should say he, he wrote it on the Internet. He could be having a good laugh about it. If he ever listens to the episode, oh, I totally made that up. That's always possible, right? But Conspiracy Caps fully on looking at this thing. On the one hand, dreams can be super realistic and weird. On the other hand, he did wake up in a different location. He didn't fall asleep on the ground. He doesn't feel like it was a dream. He felt like it was an actual phenomenon he went through. But I wanted to tell that story for two reasons. One, because I thought it was an interesting tale. We talk a lot about people getting abducted by aliens or waking up in pitch black bedrooms. This is the first time I've ever come across someone just going to hell. Going to hell. And I like all the little details where he felt like the this had been going on for a while and his subconscious was finally becoming aware of that. That's something that we see in near-death experiences. I got another cool story coming up later this week about something like that. And just speaking of near-death experiences altogether, I did an episode about negative near-death experiences. 
they're not as rare as you think. I'll put that episode in the show notes. That was a really cool one. So this also goes into that catalog. But I also wanted to tell you this because on tomorrow's episode, I'm going to share a personal story of mine. It's a story that up until about two days ago, I had never told another living soul about. And the only reason I told them, I told Sabine about it, my friend Sabine, the only reason I told her was in preparation to tell you guys this story. I had never, ever spoken about the time when I went to hell. We will save that story for tomorrow. F. Sindo, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the Carpenter Copter. You guys are going to get a kick out of it on so many different levels. F. Sindo, let's go ahead and fire up that Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed all the way out to an Easter egg hunt. We're sitting at this Easter egg hunt. We're watching all these kids run around, finding eggs. Look at, look at, Margaret. I found the pink one. He takes a bite out of it. And then, who, what was the girl's name? I totally forgot already. Margaret, Margot. Margot's like, but look at, I found like this Cadbury egg. And she takes a bite out of it. And everyone's having a good time. There's only two eggs. There's only two eggs hidden. Okay, guys, Easter egg hunt's over. What? And you weren't supposed to eat those either. Those are from last year. We're watching this Easter egg hunt, and then everyone kind of shuffles in. And then, like, the guy who was in the Easter Bunny costume, he's like, <laughs> he gets in his car. He still has his helmet on. He's like, woo, woo, so whimsical as he causes this huge Easter egg pileup. And we just kind of let the sun set on the world. We're still just sitting out in this... <laughs> we're sitting out in this family's backyard. And they're like, have they left yet? Are those strangers still in our yard? We're sitting there and waiting for the sun to go down. Because real, most of you guys don't know this. Easter really begins in the dark. Because there's a lot of reports online of Easter bunny sightings. This guy tells a story from about 20 years ago when he was six years old. He said it was sometime between three and four in the morning, and we lived in this two-bedroom apartment. It was me and my older brother. We shared a room, and then my dad's room was across the hallway. I'm in the top bunk. My older brother's in the bottom bunk, and I wake up around, I don't remember the exact time, sometime between three and four, and I noticed that our bedroom door was opened. And across the hallway, I saw that my dad's bedroom door was slightly open. And I'm kind of just like, all the lights are off, so everything's kind of dark. And you know, when you're looking at your own house in the night, it's just all very gray. But in this gray darkness, I see what can only be described as two giant bunny ears begin to peek around the corner of the door. And then sure enough, they're followed by a giant bunny head. And I'm sitting there. It's Easter. I don't know if that was implied. I don't know. It was Easter morning. I'm sitting there. I'm getting really excited because I'm six years old. And here's the Easter bunny. The Easter bunny is visiting our apartment. And I watch him come into frame. And he's standing there. He's about four feet tall. And oddly enough, not the fact that it's a giant rabbit. That's that's totally normal. He's four feet tall. It's this giant rabbit. But what's even more odd is that he was plaid. Not He wasn't wearing a plaid shirt. He wasn't a lumberjack. His his fur was completely plaid covered. He's like, what? That's not what I thought. That's not what I thought Easter Bunny was going to look like. 
The Easter Bunny comes and is now standing in front of their door. And this little boy's like, ooh, Easter Bunny, this is so cool. And then the Easter Bunny smiles, revealing a row of sharp teeth. Now, a dream? <laughs> it's not a dream, right? No, 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 it's not a dream. He's sitting there, he's looking at this bunny rabbit, and everything was fine until it smiled, and all these sharp teeth are there. And this little boy's like, uh, that's not what the Easter Bunny's supposed to look like. But now you're petrified, right? First you thought it was this whimsical, magical feeling, and now you think that you're about to become lunch. But maybe I'm just seeing things. Maybe I am dreaming. Maybe this is all made up in my head because I'm six. And that's when he hears his older brother say from the bottom bunk, You see that too? Both kids start flipping out. They jump out of bed. They run into their dad's room. Dad, 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 the bunny rabbit's here. The bunny rabbit's here and he's a big monster man. He's going to get us. And the dad's furious, right? Because he's just trying to sleep. It wasn't him. He wasn't a, dressed up as a bunny monster man. He was furious. He blamed them for making it up because they just wanted to start Easter early that year. And to this day, his dad denies it. His dad, I don't know if he asks him every single day, every single day what's going on, but his dad always denied it. He says, I wasn't the Easter bunny. I didn't definitely didn't walk around the house. I'm not four feet tall. I don't have razor-sharp teeth. I wouldn't buy a costume that had razor-sharp teeth, definitely. So that's just one of many Easter Bunny sightings that we do see of kids actually saying that they're seeing the Easter Bunny. It's interesting because this is one of those type of stories where you post about online and then a bunch of people chime in in the comments being like, oh, that happened to me. I thought I was just going insane. I thought I was just the one hallucinating that. People seeing the Easter Bunny around Easter time. Now, at the same time, there's also stories like this. One guy's like, that happened to me. He goes, one year, the teacher, we're at school, and the teacher goes, open your desk, kids. The Easter Bunny left you something, and everyone opened their desk, and there was candy in their desk. But this dude opens his desk up, and he doesn't see any candy, and then he shuts it, and he tells his buddy, I can't find the candy. The Easter Bunny forgot me, and the buddy came over, and they opened the desk up, and there's candy in there, and that's his proof that the Easter Bunny exists. This is the problem with paranormal research. Some of, it, some of it just sucks, right? Kids are the least observant of all living creatures. Uh, that happens all the time. But anyway, so that I won't really consider that proof. And then you have accounts. There's one woman told the story that my mom always swears she saw the Easter Bunny as a kid. She told me that story all the time. Well, usually just around Easter, but... Eventually, I got old and I realized the Easter Bunny wasn't real. And I remember asking my mom, hey, I know the Easter Bunny's not real. Did you, why did you tell me you saw the Easter Bunny all these years? And the mom goes, oh, because I saw the Easter Bunny. The Easter Bunny isn't real, but I saw it. And she goes, my mom never changed her story. Even when I knew for a fact the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and all this stuff wasn't real, my mom was like, yeah, I know. That's why, that's why I told you that story so many times. It's terrifying. I saw something that doesn't exist. But that's the question. Does it exist? Now, I see a lot of talk online, and I'm sure a lot of you guys are kind of thinking around this this way, and, and it's definitely very plausible. The idea of tulpas, and that's the thing that if you believe in something enough, if you give it enough of your brain power, you can create a hallucination. You can turn it into a 3D hologram. We've done at least one episode on tulpas before. I'll put it in the show notes. It was really creepy. A guy was trying to have sex with a cartoon character made the cartoon character alive and then uh, anyways i'll put that in the show notes 
Tulpa. And if you had millions of people believing in the Easter Bunny, believing in Santa Claus, would it... Because there's just as many stories about people seeing Santa Claus for real, hearing sleigh bells. And, and again, they're very adamant. My parents weren't doing it. My parents were not... My parents were not on the roof with a bunch of reindeer. I saw Santa Claus. So the idea is that if enough people believe in the Tulpa, they create this thought form over... Over time, and with all this mental power, we're creating these things. But let's put on our conspiracy cap, because I actually have a more sinister reason for these things. When I was looking into this, we had the Santa Claus stuff, we had the Easter Bunny stuff, and then you had people chiming every once in a while, saying that they saw the Tooth Fairy. What if this is what's going on? Because I think at this point, I think we should all be aware that we're lied to constantly. We're lied to by the government, we're lied to by the media, and unfortunately, we're lied to by each other now. That's become a ma major component of this stuff. For the media tells you a lie, and then you repeat the lie. You may not know that you're lying, but the media tells you a lie, and then you repeat the lie, and other people who go, oh, that's, that's weird, and then they repeat the lie, and, they, and then eventually someone fact-checks it. And then when they come to you with the fact check, you're like, ah, I've already forgotten about that lie that I told you. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It happens on all sides of the political spectrum. It seems to be relatively new, though. It seems to be part of the 24-hour news cycle. Very, very interesting. That didn't really happen when I was growing up. But the government lies to you. That's happened since the beginning of time. The media lies to you. That's happened for quite a while as well. And now we're lying to each other. We're repeating these lies over and over again. We know that happens. That is true. So what happens when you go farther back before the lie was invented? Here's my conspiracy theory. Here's my carpenter, my conspiracy cap fully on theory that these entities do exist. What's the story you've always heard about Santa Claus? Santa Claus was the traditional Santa Claus. I know there's different versions of them in different countries, but the traditional American Santa Claus was dreamt up by an artist who was trying to sell Coca-Cola products, which even just talking about this makes me want to drink a Coca-Cola so bad. Ugh, I need one. But he drew it, and then that has become the idea of St. Nick, of Santa Claus. But what if that's not the truth? What if there was, predating that, a Santa Claus-esque demon, ghost, deity, whatever form you want to put it in, and the government covered up the existence of this Santa Claus by making up the story. The guy probably drew it, right? I'm not saying that he didn't draw it, but that would be the easiest way to do that. And here's the thing, you could Jason, that's ludicrous. It's far easier to believe that a man came up with a drawing of Santa Claus that became so popular and people started writing songs about what he looked like, and that's why we think that's way more plausible than the fact that you're telling me that in America, predating that, there was some sort of ghoulish figure that looked like Santa Claus, and to cover up his existence, the government made up the story that he was made up. But we see them do that with the UFO phenomenon. We saw it happen right before it. We can look back to the past 70 years of UFO stories. And they do that. 
you have people reporting these black triangular shapes in the sky. The military designs stealth fighter jets to look like black triangles in the sky and then say these UFO sightings that predated the stealth fighter jet were of test of the stealth fighter jet. You have the phenomenon and then you have the cover story. So is it possible that they did this with Santa Claus? Is it possible that around Easter... Because here's the thing, too. <laughs> no, my boy, I have such a serious tone when I'm talking about this. Here's the thing. When you look for what's the history of the Easter Bunny, where does the Easter Bunny come from? Every time they talk about it, they go, we don't know, or one theory is. They don't. They have no idea what the true originally came up with the idea of the Easter Bunny. We don't know. There's theories that it comes from this German tradition. It's a theory that it started in the 1700s in America, but they don't know. It's just there. So is the Easter Bunny a cover story for a giant rabbit that does stalk the residents of America? And here's the thing, too. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Here's my thing, too. Is it possible that the reason why we have the Easter Bunny sightings around the spring equinox is because that is when the veil is thinnest? And is there a reason why we have the Santa Claus? People aren't seeing Santa Claus on Arbor Day. They're seeing Santa Claus around Christmas. <laughs> like, Jason, please just stop, dude. You're telling me that because Santa Claus is only seen at Christmas time, it has something to do with the changing of the seasons or the end of the year and that somehow the veil is thin around then and the real Santa Claus shows up and all of the images of Santa Claus is based on a real figure. Is that what you're saying, Jason? I do want to add this too. The, the, yeah, I am saying that. I do want to add this too. You have the Easter Bunny sightings. You have the Santa Claus sightings. And I was perplexed by the Tooth Fairy sightings. Because what if there is something about when a... What if there's something about kids' teeth falling out that, again, used to attract this pixie-like creature who loved children's teeth, and then the government, the government the government's spying on a house. They think they're Soviet spies, and they see this little Tinkerbell person walk in and then walk out with a little tooth, and it's like, ooh, it's licking it, and they're like, Call the, call the Pentagon call the Pentagon right now. We have no idea what we just saw. And then the government has to come up with a cover story. They're like, great, another one? We, I don't know how we got people to believe in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. They're not real, even though they show up all the time. Fine. Maybe there is a creature that loves human teeth. And the stories of the Tooth Fairy are real, but then we were told they were fake. So if anyone ever talks about the Tooth Fairy being real, or the Easter Bunny being real, or Santa Claus being real, we think they're insane. And actually, most people will not admit this outside of their families or outside of an anonymous post online. Because if, if you were at work and you go, hey, Charlie, how was your weekend? They're like, oh, it was really cool. I saw, <laughs> I saw the Easter Bunny. He was in my house. He surprisingly has really sharp teeth. And they're just drinking they're just drinking their coffee. That person would be locked away. It's such a perfect cover story. If these entities exist, and who knows, maybe someday characters like Bigfoot will become part of a cultural celebration. And then two, three hundred years later, you'll be buying Bigfoot cards on Arbor Day. He'll become part of that 
tradition. And then when people do go, hey, I saw Bigfoot, people are like, what? The Arbor Day guy? He doesn't exist. Like, that was something we made up to kids so they'd go plant trees. You're, you're nuts. This is the perfect way to cover something up. Make it so foolish to talk about it, you don't talk about it. They did it with UFOs. They 100%, the government 100% did it with UFOs. So are they doing it with the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy? Who knows? That's the great thing about being a conspiracy theorist. I don't have to prove, <laughs> I don't have to prove anything. I just have to have a hunch. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Bye.